Welcome back to What's New, the only podcast that's going to tell you all about what's going on on campus. I'm Nick Klotz, Editor-in-Chief of the Penman Press. My name is Eli Hart. I do podcast stuff. I do video stuff. I try and help out where he I He is can. our media mogul. He does it all. I am Rosa Valenti. I'm the news editor for the Penman Press. And I'm Taylor DeForest. Um, I'm kind of just a staff writer. Like, Who makes pretty things. I make logos and I like help out. I'm a beauty writer. <laughs> now, Rosa, I notice you look a little bit out of breath. What's going on? <laughs> so... I was on my way over here, right? And I was walking from the ACC, going across the crosswalk. And this car decided to turn as I was in the middle of the crosswalk. Literally, the car window was like two inches from my face. I saw my light flash before my eyes and the black stint of that car window. And then that wasn't the only one. There was another one stopped at the stop sign across the street. And that one also decided that it would be a good idea to just speed right after the other one. So I almost got hit by two cars on my way over. A double dose. Oh, that's a big Jeez. I mean, like, our campus is built, like, on, like, this main road. But even still, people should be respecting, I don't know, crosswalks and stop signs. And It, it doesn't only <laughs> happen near that main road is the thing like i i lived in washington last year for my freshman year and i can recall at least five times that i almost got hit by a car oh, on yeah, campus yeah, parking lot yeah yeah the one that was changed into the teacher's parking lot yeah sometimes people are going like at least 30 in a parking lot just coming around a bend and i'm just like dude what are you doing <laughs> <laughs> taylor have you ever been almost hit by a car i have um i think it was in the same location that you were in uh it's like that crosswalk like between hospitality and like that's how you get to the student center and i was walking across like the crosswalk and some guy just decides to try to blow through the stop sign and he starts honking at me and i'm like dude and i like point to the stop sign I'm like you're the one who had a stop sign what are you doing like i was like don't honk at me who do you think you are what is this <laughs> My favorite is the cold stare they give you sometimes. You know, when you when they see that you're coming and they kind of just give you that look like they want to fight you almost or, yeah. like, <laughs> you or like something that you did someday, you know, in the past is like, you know, really like just led up to this moment and they just wanted to get out of their car and like sort of strangle you. And I, I feel bad for the people sometimes because maybe they have places they got to go. But look, I got to go places too, and I don't have a car that's nice and warm to get there in, so like, y'all should be slowing down. And, and you're like, like, dude, like, hit me, pay my tuition. <laughs> I don't real, care. For real. I mean, what it seems to me is like, people are in such a rush to get places, and like, yeah, college students are notoriously bad at time management, but like, do you see, do you see the same thing happen elsewhere in the real world like i know rosa you're from new york so you yeah. probably know better than anybody else I, I, i'm gonna be real you know i am from new york and in new york they don't stop for you if you're at a crosswalk but if you're going across that crosswalk they let you go if they see you they're gonna be like all right fine you're cool i've almost been hit more times while living in new hampshire than ever in my life in new york and i lived there for 18 years so it's crazy, and it, it, I was, like, looking it up because I was curious. I think last year, like, 6,000 people died from getting hit by a car, which is kind of crazy, Jeez. and I'm just like... <laughs> Has anyone ever been been hit on campus? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, with the amount of times I've almost been hit, I wouldn't be surprised if there's at least one person that's gotten hit by a car. Yeah, I mean, the worst thing I've ever seen happen on campus is um, 
one of those buses that like the athletes go on was making a right turn and there was a car on the right side and he just kind of sandwiched the car between mm, well, the bus and the curb but like nothing with pedestrians yeah. but what kind of measures have to be taken to to kind of get people to realize they need to be more mindful of pedestrians before that does happen you know uh, I don't maybe more crosswalks or stop signs. Not that people are going to listen to them anyway, but I think it's just a matter of people need to be more mindful, you know, like pay attention, make sure you're not, you know, hitting someone and either injuring them severely or, you know, even killing them because it's not worth it. Like you trying to get to your 930 class and trying not to be late isn't worth someone dying over. So, yep. Facts. Facts. As much as Taylor would like the free tuition. <laughs> So how long till we start like the uh, hashtag build a tunnel underneath the road so no one has to worry about crossing any roads? <laughs> yeah, that would be cool. That that <laughs> would be pretty cool. Right underneath the road, right at the main stop. Just like just Cars like a little manhole in the student good. center. Yeah. Oh, use, yeah. Use some of that um some of that online money, Snoo, and build us a tunnel, please. <laughs> Other colleges have them. We can do it too. I'm telling you. Hashtag build a tunnel. I want those secret passageways. Let's go. <laughs> On this episode of What's New, we're going to be hearing from social media's most active professors about what they think about attendance policy. And have you heard about this bill to legalize marijuana going through New Hampshire Congress? Well, we bring in Jay Tafone, the Executive Director of Community Standards and Student Support, to talk about what this means for students. But before that, we're going to check in with SGA President Sina Tabaniua about a trip she took with SNU's decision makers to Alabama to talk about the five-year plan for diversity, equity, and inclusion. My name is Nikki Fain, and I am the co-editor-in-chief of the Penman Press. Hi, everybody. My name is Sina, and I'm the SGA president here. You recently went on a board of trustees meeting. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Right. So the SGA president, um, one of their duties to serve the student body is to represent um, the student community at the board of trustees um, in the fall and spring board of trustees meetings. So what was this meeting about? So this meeting was mostly centered around the diversity, equity, and inclusion plan that the school is going to implement in the next five years. So the setting was appropriate for Alabama because that's where lots of civil rights movements have happened. And there's lots of, you know, black history that happened in that area. What was the most meaningful part to you? The most meaningful part had to be the museum after the lynching memorial. So this museum is called um, the Legacy Museum, and it's it's partnered by the same people um, who started the memorial for the lynching. Um, and it basically walks you through... Um, the start of the slave trade all the way until the new Jim Crow, which, you know, regards um, mass incarceration. And that just like having all of that laid out in front of you was very emotional. It was very quiet in there. People were crying. I was, <laughs> you know, I had to go to a corner and cry a little and just, like, oh my God. And just take everything in, you know? Um, Yes. So just knowing that I have I go to a school that cares about this, who acknowledges the heaviness that this country holds um, is very powerful. How did you find out about the five year diversity, equity and inclusion plan? 
So the director of um, diversity and inclusion is Jada. Mm -hmm. And Jada presented after the panel. um, And she started off with her story. There was a boy, and this was back in the early 1900s. Um, Him and his mother lived in a house that had no doors. And the walls were papered with newspaper. The little boy taught himself how to read. Casually. (laughs) As you do. Yeah. And his mother was very proud because she was illiterate and so were her parents. Because she was a daughter of a slave. So she realized how intelligent her boy was. So she put him in school. He grew up and he wanted to go to college. So he applied to the University of Alabama. And I guess back in the day, like, you had to go in and hand in your applications. And um, when he handed in his application to the dean of students, he ripped up his application right in front of him and said, boy, like, who do you think you are? So he moved up north. He went to college. He joined the military. And he started his own family. And he moved his family 18 times. So. Wow. Right. That's hard. (laughs) Exactly. So his family could have, you know, good public education. Mm. And one of his daughters grows up to be the chief of diversity and inclusion in the most innovative university in the North. Yes. That still, like, blows my mind and hits me Oh, that's like yeah, a gut punch. Yeah, girl, I sat there and I was like, I'm not going to cry in front of these people. Like, it was very touching. It was. It, it made me realize, like, this is why our school is doing this. Like, we are telling our stories. We are living it through the school. And having, like, Jada's... Jada's... <laughs> Jada's vulnerability was inspiring. Um mm. And it inspired me to continue to tell my story as well. Yeah. So then my question for you is, what would you say is your story? So I had the privilege of living in lots of different countries and traveling a lot. Um, Coming from a small country in the South Pacific, uh, Tonga, it's a kingdom island nation. Um, I moved to America when I was five, lived in California, grew up mostly in New York City, moved to China for a little bit, went back to Tonga, back to New York City, and now here in <laughs> Hookset, New Hampshire. <laughs> oh my God. Um, sitting here with all those travel experiences and continuing to travel is a huge privilege. I cannot underline that enough. It's a privilege. It's a privilege to live this out and to meet so many different people from different walks of lives. And like, I am grateful for that platform and I'm grateful that SNHU provides that platform for our students. Um, This is a great place to be. Mm. What made you come to SNU? So I took my first tour uh, my junior year in high school and I was walking right outside these doors, actually, um, through the student center. Um, on the walls, there are the Faces of Pride, mm. where you have um, portraits of allies, people who are gay, people who are lesbians. And I was like, this is, it made me think, like, this is a school 
who hears the unheard, who sees the invisible and understands that everybody has a story and everybody matters. And like going to so many different schools my whole life, I have never come across a school like that. And that just, I, I, I was like, I, was, I, I made my choice. <laughs> I made my choice right here. I knew I wanted to be a math major and I knew like I could go to other schools with um, extensive programs, but I was like, I, I can grow here. This is a warm environment. This is a positive environment. And I can tell that they care. They genuinely care. Yeah. When I first came to campus, I um, had a pretty similar experience. I was walking right past Robert Frost and they were doing a it was like National Appreciate Your Tutorer Week or something like that. And they offered us um, to paint. Me and my best friend went and they offered, oh, do you want to paint a rock or do you want do you mind if we like outline your foot in chalk to spell out thank you tutors and i was like but we're not students is that okay <laughs> like obviously not really clicking with the fact that no one knows but it was like i felt immediately included into this new community i love that i love that there's like a huge sense of inclusion here yeah for sure yeah i value that what do you think was the most important part of the trip the most important trip important part of the trip was probably dinner after that whole field trip that whole field trip we had <laughs> dinner and we were all exhausted you know we were so tired but we wanted to come together to reflect and just be together because we just journeyed through this heaviness and we some of us just met each other yeah because you were with all the board of trustees and all the senior vice presidents of SNU, right yes okay so dr adrian Oh, I love Adrian. Love Adrian. <laughs> Everybody should meet Adrian. <laughs> I told Adrian, um, you know, I would love it if we could bring all 3,000 students here. I think they all need to experience this. They need to see how much our school cares and, you know, what kind of country we live in. We live in a growing, we can grow. You know, there's lots, there's always room for growth. And I want each SNHU student to see that. And he said, you know, we, we can't. <laughs> we can't afford to bring all 3,000 students here. But that's why you're here. So you can take it back with you. You can, you can live through it how, with how you model, with how you lead, and, and tell your story. And include. And I, that's when I decided, like, I will always include this trip to Alabama in my story. But I had to <laughs> emphasize um, to Dr. Adrian and Dr. LeBlanc, like, we love this school. Like, mm. please keep bringing SGA presidents here. And if we could, more students, please. Like, <laughs> we love this school. We, we like, having the privilege to, like, talk to the higher-ups, like, the, the decision-makers of this university, mm -hmm. like, that's crazy. I, I can't think of another college that does do that. Like, I think it's important for us to have a voice, and they do value that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as one of the editors-in-chief of the Penman Press, I know I can go to any of them at any point and be like, hey, I want to talk to you about this. They make time. Yeah, they mm. do. I know last time we talked, you hadn't had an opportunity to really look at the plan. Have you taken a look at it? Yes. Yes, I have. What are your thoughts on the three goals for this plan? I love them. <laughs> I love them. <laughs> but there, there is, and there is a part of me that thinks like, these are great goals, like, but I also know that these goals, in a way, will 
won't be fulfilled. But that's even better because, like, there's always a path. I think these goals, like, set the path for SNHU. And the work, like, um, this plan, like, it never ends. Um, even beyond our years, I think this plan should still continue. And I think these goals will definitely keep that plan going for um, decades to come, hopefully. Did they talk at all on the trip? <clears throat> Did they talk at all on the trip about the implementation of these goals? Because right now, they're pretty vague. Yes. <laughs> yes, I know. Um, so they they did. So, like, in between, like, the bus rides and over lunch, they were talking about how we would start wow. with, um, yeah, the first year seminar. So they were thinking of implementing these this plan. So, like, what I learned in Alabama, we should implement that in the first year seminar now. Okay. Yeah, so, like, we'll, they'll be talking about slavery. They'll be talking about inclusion, uh, mass incarceration. You know, I got to keep these kids woke, so... <laughs> And I completely agree. I think, you know, this matters. And I think everybody could relate to it. One of the biggest things I came came away with after talking to you was how close slavery still is in our history. It's not this, like, long time thing. It's not been a century even. Exactly. Okay, that is what blew my mind. Okay, because when you read it in, like, your textbooks in middle school and high school, you're like... Oh, yeah, this happened a long time ago. Like, damn, you know. (laughs) But then um, one of the trustees is a law professor in Stanford University, Mm -hmm. um, Dr. Banks. And he was talking about how his father had to flee, literally flee, like run with his family, pack up a night, all that to run away from this lynching. It was a whole it was a whole genocide like. Exactly. And I was looking at him and I'm like, he's still living like his father's still alive. So I was like, mm. <laughs> like, this is recent, you know, like, and then hearing Jada's story on top of that. Exactly. It's mind blowing. And I, I think textbooks, you know, they do educate us, but they don't make you realize how recent and how heavy this actually is. So to clarify, the three goals are to cultivate equity, access, and just just experiences, to foster a culture of belonging and agency, and to advance learning and development for equity and academic efficacy. Just reading those out loud, I'm like, what does that mean, though? What are your immediate thoughts just hearing the, those? think these three goals are tying into trying to create an environment where people are educated in diversity and equity and inclusion and understand why it's important and just because there like there are certain people who are not affected by racism or slavery directly that we want to let them know that it affects them too because this is not a black thing this is not an american thing this is a human thing and i think these three goals um They're trying to create that environment. What would you say to not just students, but staff and faculty who disagree with that mentality? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's huge. First of all, why? (laughs) (laughs) I would I I think everybody has their own reasons of why they decide to turn their heads away. Um, I just I want to know why. I don't think I have anything to say. I think I would have more questions and something to say to them would you try to call them in and educate them 
first of all, if you are working at the school and you don't <laughs> follow this plan, like, probably shouldn't be working here then because... I mean, like, our trustees and our president believe in this plan, and I think that should trickle down all the way down to the students, to the st- faculty, to the staff. So so you've had a couple weeks to reflect on this plan now. What are the next steps for you? How do you put yourself, put your story into this plan on this campus? So SGA has given me that opportunity and that platform to, like, pour these experiences into there. Um, So our new structure and our new policies um, are definitely going to like include diversity, inclusion and equity. We do need that representation to on SGA. I think as our student population is diversifying, I think that has to reflect in student government as well. As a student leader, but also an international and student of color, do you feel like you're often alone in terms of that? Do you wish there were more students of color? Would that make you feel more like you belong? You know, I think it's a human thing to to want to belong and to see people who look like you and talk like you. Um, but I think that's a problem I've had even before SNHU. So I'm Tongan, you know, from Tonga, and there are not many, there are not many Tongans, okay? <laughs> but um, I've started, I've... I've learned to connect with people through personalities now. Mm. Um, I think how somebody looks doesn't... If I look at somebody, I can't guess their personality, you know? Even if they do look like me. um, True. Yeah, yeah. So I... It would be great to have that representation on campus, but um, I'm learning how to get to know people. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. I know, like, as a mixed but also very white passing student, it's like I'm sometimes I'm too light for one community, sometimes I'm too dark for another. That's ex- that's exactly what me and Adrian were talking about. <laughs> like, not falling into a certain category completely mm. is very exhausting. And it, yes, it, yeah. could, it, it could feel alone because I, I honestly feel like I don't belong in any category. So, yeah. Yeah. I'd agree with that wholeheartedly. Yeah, yeah. How do you, you, Nikki? Yeah, okay. <laughs> How do you use Pem and Press as your platform? Um, Ever since I was young, I have wanted to write and share stories and read stories. And for me, writing is the best outlet for me. It's a way for me to take action and to take, to do more of the investigation and the work so that others have the best news they possibly can and they're as informed as they possibly can which is more and more becoming a challenge in this era and I think that skill is ever increasing in importance Mm. I love that yeah it's sometimes a lot but and sometimes the stress of being a student leader on top of everything yeah literally (laughs) everything Like, you just have to roll with the punches and just keep in mind that at the end of the day, you're doing something that's providing others good. Then just to finish off, I know you guys have elections coming up or in the process right now. Do you want to share anything? Yes. So applications for our Student Government Association are available on SNU, SGA.org. Um, 
yeah, we'd love to have you. We have many vacancies. <laughs> we'd love to have you. Uh, we have a new structure coming up. We have new policies. We're starting off brand new next fall, and we'd love to have you. Awesome. Thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. <laughs> In the interest of allowing law enforcement to focus on violent and property crimes, generating revenue for education and other public purposes, and individual freedom, the people of the state of New Hampshire find and declare that the use of cannabis should be legal for a person 21 years of age or older and taxed in a manner similar to alcohol. We're talking about weed. New Hampshire might be trying to legalize it. They actually have a bill that has some regulations that they might set in place. The bill was already passed through the House, so now we're just waiting on it to be voted on by the Senate and then the governor. What it means is essentially marijuana in the state of New Hampshire is going to be regulated in a really similar way to the way alcohol is regulated within state. So only people of a certain age, that age being 21, will be able to, first of all, purchase it, and second of all, be able to use and carry it. And they'll be able to tax it, and that tax is actually going to go back towards drug um, rehabilitation programs and such. The, the bill itself says some of the tax revenue generated from legal cannabis sales will be used to support what are now severely underfunded programs for education and treatment related to the use of both legal and illegal drugs. So I, I find that interesting because a lot of people do say marijuana is a gateway drug, but the state's actually looking to use the revenue they would get from legalizing it and putting that towards, I guess, rehabilitating people who are, you know, part of the opioid crisis and, you know, maybe use more severe uh, illegal drugs. So I, I think that's definitely an interesting thing, too, that the state included in, in the bill. All right. Next, we're going to have our friend Jay Defone from Student Affairs, come uh, give us a little chat about how marijuana is going to affect our campus. Hey, Jay, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing very well. Thank you for having me in the studio. Can you tell us, first of all, your position on campus and a little bit about what you do on campus? Sure. Um, I'm the Executive Director of Community Standards and Student Support, and uh, my job is to oversee our conduct process on campus for behavioral issues in and outside of the classroom. Um, I also manage our university care team. All right. I think we're just going to start right off with the questions. Rosa, take it away. My first question that I have for you that I thought would be interesting for students to know is if the law is passed, will there be stricter enforcements or rules regarding marijuana on campus? Mm. So, uh, you can talk to your friends who go to school in Massachusetts, right? And they'll probably tell you that their university policies um, have not changed um, in any probably appreciable sort of way. Um, and that's because our rules, our policies are dictated by the federal government. Uh, the federal government as a major source of our funding, both in terms of uh, our financial aid, as well as grants that we receive for different projects that are occurring across campus, are all tied uh, to our adherence uh, to two major pieces of legislation um, that come out of the 80s. Uh, the first is the Drug-Free Workplace Act of 88, 
And the second is the Drug-Free School and Community Act of 89. Uh, Both of them um, essentially mandate uh, that schools, colleges, universities um, are not to allow students and employees to possess and to use um, drugs. And according to the federal government, marijuana is a Schedule I drug. Um, And as such, um, even when a state decriminalizes or even legalizes uh, something like marijuana, that doesn't take precedent over the federal government's prohibition against its possession and use, especially when it comes to those two pieces of legislation. Uh, To violate those two laws could mean that we are jeopardizing our ability as a university to be eligible for any of those federal funds, which is why you won't see us say, hey, okay, everybody can possess and use and no problem, no consequence for that, because we could we could run afoul of of the, the federal government for that. So in layman terms, what you're saying is this is a f- state law. And because we are federally funded by the government, federal laws apply to us. Thus, it trumps state law. That means you can't be doing things like smoking weed on campus. That is correct. Okay. I'm so professional. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then... With those two laws that you brought up, Mm -hmm. if the federal government does eventually legalize marijuana, because, I mean, New Hampshire is going to be, if if this law is legalized, they will be the 11th state to legalize it. Sure. So if the federal law does ever, you know, allow marijuana Mm -hmm. to be legalized everywhere, does SNU's conduct team have a plan in place if the federal government decides to? I mean, I think that we 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 have a professional association that we're affiliated with. We are in regular communication with our our partners across the state of New Hampshire. I think if the federal government ever did move to legalize, um, then certainly we would explore that at that time. I think for the foreseeable future, at least for the next year and a half, I don't anticipate that to be anything that that that's on the horizon right now. Um, And then my third question I had was, how have you personally, how have you seen the stigma around marijuana change over the years? And how do you think that change has impacted educational environments like SNU? Hmm. I think that uh, we, over the last three to four years, have seen an increase in the number of incidents involving marijuana, paraphernalia, use, possession. Um, And I think that that probably in part comes from the fact that our neighboring states from which a lot of our students come um, have readier access given the fact that um, there's legalization in Vermont and in Maine and in Massachusetts. And uh, there's decriminalization now here in New Hampshire up to three quarters of an ounce. Uh, So I think that uh, the readiness of it um, makes it that much easier, I think, for our students to get a hold of it. Um, and which means then that some of it winds up coming back to campus, um, probably in greater numbers, um, or certainly in easier, uh, in easier ways than it has in the past. Um, I also just get the sense that among our students, I think that there is, um, 
a greater sort of acceptance uh, of possession and use and probably less of a stigma than there was 5, 10, 15 years ago, even back when I was in college. Attendance is often a point of contention between students and faculty. Recently, a student wrote an article questioning the importance of attendance. I'm joined today by Stephen Boucher, Josh Harwood, and John Borishak. Should students be required to attend their classes? What do you all think? So let's look at it this way. You're here right now as a student, especially if you're a day student. For all practical purposes, your professors and anyone else on campus figures right now your full-time job is being a student. And we can prove this mathematically. If you figure you're in five classes, each class meets for approximately three hours a week, hence the three credit per course, there's 15 hours a week spent in class. Academically, for every hour you spend in class, you're supposed to have two hours a week of work outside of class. That totals up to another 30 hours. There's your 45-hour work week right now for class. Some people will miss an occasional class. SNU has a policy that says if you miss three classes, that's considered excessive. You figure each class meets, what, 25, maybe 26 times in a semester. That means you're missing more than 10% of your classes if you miss three. Let's face it, if you have a job... You can't show up for work 90% of the time and expect to stay employed. What do you think, Mr. Harwood? I, I'm, I'm in with JB on... Uh, That's me. On the on attendance, and it really should be on the student's responsibility, but I, I think it depends on course level. So meaning a 100-level course really sh might need to have that attendance policy built in just for a fact, maybe freshmen or first-year students don't know what they don't know, and skipping classes could be impactful long-term versus a senior who's been through the ropes and is it's their own time now. They should kind of look at it both ways. I, I would agree with Josh about that, but I'm not sure I agree that attendance ought to have a mandatory policy. You as the student ought to be driving yourself. You should be there. For us as faculty members, we ought to make class interesting enough and compelling enough to make you want to be there. If all we're doing is facilitating discussion on the reading, you could have bought the book and taught it yourself. Where's our value add? So shame on us if we're not making the class compelling enough to make you go there. I don't know. I take a look at it from a little bit of a different prism since I'm not a professor. I'm, I look at it as a dad of a college senior right now. And I take a look at the fact that 80% of students who want to attend a college or university can't do so on their own using their own funds. So it's usually mom and dad paying for it. So my expectation, part of my contract with my daughter is if if I'm going to help you pay for your education, then I'm expecting that your end of the bargain is that you're showing up for classes. And the things that I typically look at is if you have group work in a class, you know, and you're not showing up for class, then you're holding your group behind. And also, um, you know, if you're not attending class and you've missed the last three classes and show up and then expect to be brought up to speed, how much is that slowing down the rest of the class? I would agree with that. I definitely when it comes to group work, but your, your comment about the 
contract with your daughter is interesting. Let's put that in terms of dollars and cents from a contract perspective. So based on average money here at SNU, average tuition for a full year is $30,756. Our per credit cost is $1,200. So you figure if you go down to the penny, a three credit course is costing you $3,844. Yes, that's your money. Yes, you're the one paying us. But don't you want to get your money's worth out of the course? If you don't show up for one of those 26 sessions, you have just wasted $147. I mean, you might as well light that money on fire and burn it up because that's, in effect, what you're doing. Where'd you go? Well, so where do you think the driving force for that comes from? Do you think students need to push their teachers to kind of incorporate more? Or do you think teachers need to push other teachers, you know, their coworkers to really kind of become that kind of force that really, you know, intrigues people and brings them into education? Where where do you think the problem is? Again, what are we doing as professors to make people want to come to those classes? Do we need a policy where we're taking tents and telling people that they don't have to be there? If class participation is part of the grade, guess what? You weren't there. You didn't participate. Guess what? You're not scoring points in. Are you going to class to get a grade or are you going to a class to learn something and hopefully something that you continue to use outside of that class rather than just barfing it back at your professor on an exam and being done with it? That part's up to your professor. It's our job to make it useful, practical, and have a value add from us adding in our industry experience and expertise, or why would you go? Well, I think I think you got to take a look at it. There was something that was you know it, that was passed on as a fact in in the story that uh, I read in the Penman Press, and it was talking about uh, even a bachelor's degree is about as useful as a high school diploma in the eyes of employers in today's market. It's absolutely not true. Uh, I mean, on an average uh, annual basis, a bachelor's degree will earn you $32,000 more uh, than those whose highest degree is a high school diploma. So the fact that you're able to make a commitment, attend class, earn your degree will, will benefit you greatly in the long run. I'm so in the middle of this. Um, you know, Steve and JB have both really added good points. I'm, I'm testing a no attendance policy, and um, JB knows that I've built my attendance policy around JB's syllabus um, and given him rightful credit. My usual attendance policy is pretty strict. So trying it in an upper-level course, and I want to say for 98% of the class, it's it's working. Students are coming to class. There are some students who've exceeded my attendance policy for any class who are not even in spring break. So I, I don't know the best way to, to balance it. I think there is some accountability for faculty, but I think it goes back to students. Why do you even want to be here? If you're just here to not go to class, then don't waste $30,000 a year for four years. It's expensive. So you take a look at it and the book is one thing, but losing out on the expertise of people like Josh and like JB who have done things in the industry, who have, you know, experience, have life experience. And also the fact that SNU is known um, very well for experiential learning and the chance to work on collaborative projects to, you know, I know both of these guys have bring businesses into class and things like that. So to lose out on that valuable industry experience is, is a missed opportunity if you're not going to class. I do understand some of the student perspective on that also. 
you're the ones paying us. This is a service industry. And I know a lot of my colleagues are probably blanching and ready to, you know, charge the broadcast booth and string me up on a rope right now for even saying that. But this is a service industry and the students are our customers. But we're also their guide. And part of what we've got to do is prepare them for what life outside of here is going to be like. I guess that's where I fall, too, is that I don't think we're doing students any favor by allowing them to skate on an attendance policy, because when you get out of here, you know, I, I look at the same thing with my student workers. Um, there is no such thing as an unexcused absence. You know, if you're sick, if you've got a death in the family, something like that, we totally get it. But if you're just not feeling it that day, that's not how the world works. And I think it's the same thing with attending class. You know, I can see the fact that people are paying to be here, so they should have a little bit of choice in what they're doing. But ultimately, I think, as you said, if your class is good enough, entertaining enough, um, they should want to be there. I don't know anybody who would buy two concert tickets to not show up for the show. So if you're paying this much money for an education, why would you not want to show up to be educated? And that's a wrap on this episode of What's New. As always, thank you so much for listening. It really means a lot to us. What's New is a collaboration between the Penman Press and Radio Snoo. You can find the Penman Press online at penmanpress.com or with the at Penman Press handle on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. You can find Radio Snoo at radio.snhu.edu or with the Radio Snoo handle on social media. Thanks so much to all the Penman Press and Radio Snoo staff who helped out with this episode. And another thank you to all the guests who are in this one. What's New is made possible thanks to funding from the SNHU Student Government Association. 